Bruce. I will do my best to work this thing out. But if I don't, Montoya and Alan here will take over your parents' case. I've told them everything I know. You can trust them 100%. 100%. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Bruce, these are good detectives. If anyone can find the truth, it's them. This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Gotham TV Podcast. I'm Derek. I'm one of your hosts. Hi, I'm John, your other host. And this is the unofficial podcast of the TV show Gotham and the Connected DC Universe. We are on episode 25 of our show this week. Episode 7 of Gotham. Yeah, yeah. Which was Penguin's Umbrella, which I have to say now, absolutely loved the the big revelation at the end. What transpired was great. Mm -hmm. Loved it. Absolutely. Yeah, really good episode. Really, really enjoyed it tonight. Uh, overall, really, really good, really good, good one, I think. Oh, absolutely, but we'll come to that, I suppose, in our, our review. Yeah, let's start out as we always do with the news. This week in the news, we have news about Gotham and its air dates in the USA and presumably, I think, Canada as well. Mm -hmm. yep. And this is the, the fall finale or sort of mid-season sort of point for Gotham would have been last night there on the 24th of November mm -hmm. with their episode 10. That's right, yeah. But they're going on a little hiatus, a little break um, so that everyone can enjoy Thanksgiving Christmas and so on, mm -hmm. um, and they should be returning then on the 5th of January in the new year, in 2015. And so that begs the question that a bit like a cat chasing down a mouse, <laughs> we could be um, catching up very much with our US friends and counterparts um, a bit quicker than we thought we might do. Yeah, yeah, it would make sense that that the we'd have the same break in that episode ten of the show. So that we're we're expecting that would be roughly around the fifteenth of December, which means we should be right caught up just by Christmas time, and then uh, and then we'll be coming back roughly around the fifth fifth of January with um with the the eleventh episode of the show. So we'll be much closer to uh, to uh, the US broadcast. Uh, feeling is you probably won't have it on the same night. We won't have it on on uh, January fifth. Uh, because that would mean that the UK would actually broadcast the episodes early. Uh, we'll most likely get the return of Gotham on the 12th of January is kind of our feeling. But we've reached out to, to Gotham on 5, to Channel 5, and hopefully we'll get some, get some further news on that. Yeah, absolutely. Another news of, of Gotham, Bruno Heller was, uh, had a, another discussion with EW this week about, uh, about the show Gotham, and uh, he was asked to kind of revisit a statement that he made before the show had started. He was interviewed earlier on in the summer and asked about, you know, about killing off characters essentially in the show. And does it, does he feel hamstrung by the idea that he can't kill off iconic characters within Gotham? Uh, the phrase he used at the time was, it's a sad thing if you can only generate suspense by killing off characters. I think this is kind of in reference to shows like Game of Thrones or shows like The Walking Dead, where essentially everybody's life is up for grabs. <laughs> on shows like that, you know, you can't get too attached to your characters. Whereas with Gotham, obviously, it skews to, it skews to a younger age group, firstly. And also, um, it's it's filled with characters who are who we know to be alive in the time Batman's around. So, um, so he's kind of he kind of says it's not ironclad uh, as a thought anymore. It's not absolutely off the table. 
But when revisiting it, he's essentially said, you know, um, he wants to make sure that they establish this as canonical Gotham, that this is the absolute version of Gotham, and then start messing with people's mind. So, <laughs> so he wants to make sure that everybody's sure that this is this is the Gotham that we all know uh, later on, that these characters will grow older uh, in, in Gotham, and then start messing with this. And I think, he, you know, he does go on to say as well that you need a good reason to do it, and a really good end point or end game to justify uh, the killing off of characters. Mm -hmm. As you say, there are characters there that in many respects, they can't kill. Yeah. Because otherwise that is completely going against um, the canon. But I do think that, you know, that having that suspense and in fact some of the characters have death stories and I think it's one of those things, is it a death where it's absolute where it's really going to play on the audience's emotional attachment and association with the character who's dead or is this a death that allows for a rebirth mm -hmm. of a character in some form or another much, much like the so-called is it metaphorical death. maybe to some extent or much um, like the so-called death of, of oswald in the first episode really yeah exactly yep they also have introduced black grace prison and they've, in they've introduced arkham which will be Opening soon, I think, is the, is the cyanide <laughs> side. Um, so, uh, so I presume that's a place where you can put a character and, and take them off the table for a while. Uh, if you if you do feel like like uh, like moving the pieces on the on the chessboard that is Gotham, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm interested. I think he was kind of reading the article itself, and we'll have a link in our show notes. Reading the article itself and the interview, it was very much a setup uh, for a headline. <laughs> in, a, in a way, it was setting up to the idea that Bruno Heller will kill off your favorite character, um, which is not what he's saying. He's saying that he wants to establish it, and then he'll start messing with some of the perceptions of the characters, and that's he's already started that at the moment with some of the characters they've introduced so far. Um, so yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm and I mean, I do think that he does go on to say that they are kind of still um, finding their feet to some respects with with the show, and that learning the ropes of, of the show, and certainly of a show that that, that is this big and that has such severe repercussions or implications on a whole history of different stories and the whole myth and legend of um, Gotham and the Batman and his associations and his his villains yeah. that you know I suppose they do have to tread carefully and, and to see what extent as well that I suppose fans of the comics and of the films and of the character and so on how much are they willing to give um, a bit of room for doing these new things? I mean, I think people should. I think that's a really important point. I think we've given the comics that room to reinvent the story, uh, modify it, deepen it, extend it, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Surely we can do that then for um, for this show as part of the wider and broader palette to explore Batman, Gotham, and all the other people associated with it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yep, so that's, uh, that's that piece of news. Does we have another bit of news? Yeah, we do. The American Society of Cinematographers, now there's a mouthful, mm -hmm. um, has announced, the ASC, if you will, has announced, uh, not the GCPD <laughs> or the MCU, but the ASC, <laughs> has announced um, 10 nominees in television categories for the 29th annual 
AISC Awards for Outstanding Achievement in Cinematography. And Christopher Knorr of Gotham is up for Best Cinematography um, for last week's Spirit of the Goat. And also then David Stockton has been nominated for the pilot episode of Gotham as well. So that's two really well-deserved nominations for the best episodes uh, of the show so far in Mm -hmm. in many respects and for their contribution to that tone and and feel just infused by the lighting and and, and the the color palette of that show yeah that's great news absolutely no well well deserved uh, nominations i think um i think we mentioned specifically about the pilot that the, the look of the show was set up at that point uh, and they've been doing a great job so far, but I think Spirit of the Goat stood out as well to, to us as being a really well, really good looking episode, a really good, really good, uh, really well deserved nominations, as as we say. Um, there's a, another couple of the, the shows that were nominated for it would include things like Game of Thrones, which is a huge production, a uh, huge amount of money spent on that show as well. So, you know, great to see that Goth- Gotham's getting a good bit of recognition for uh, for their work so far. Yeah, um, I mean, just... To really underpin that, I suppose, the president of the ASC, um, a guy called Richard Trudeau, um, he, you know, he says, our members had a very difficult time choosing these nominees from such an incredible field of submissions. You know, they have done superlative work in a very challenging medium, and we salute them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, again, really important to just get an idea of the marker that is put down by Gotham, by everyone attached to it from the cast, the crew, production and so on, to then cinematography for the the show and the quality of it. So it's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's us that's us for the news. I think it's time to move on to the review of Absolutely. Uh, Bring it on. Excellent. So this episode, as we said, is Penguin's Umbrella. It's uh, directed by Rob Bailey, who did a lot of episodes of CSI and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Criminal Minds with yeah. with Bruno Heller, who wrote this episode. This is the uh, the second episode I think he's written. He wrote the pilot, and then he wrote this episode. I think maybe he wrote one more. Um, maybe Selena Kyle. Don't think he did any um, others after that, but yeah. certainly the pilot and this. Yeah. Yep. So you got your show creator writing this episode. A really good episode, John. Do you want to run through a bit of a, a synopsis of the show? Yeah, absolutely. The return of Oswald Cobblepot has everyone seemingly out to get Jim Gordon for his double cross. Initially, Harvey Bullock um, is after him for lying to him and essentially putting him in trouble with Fish Mooney, but also apparently Carmine Falcone, who unleashes his killer, Victor Zaz, onto the GCPD precinct in an attempt to bring Jim Gordon in for his betrayal. Victor Saz is a psychopath whose signature is to mark himself after every kill, mm. and he certainly notches up a number of kills in this episode. In the meantime, the MCU, the Major Crimes Unit, after their false accusations against Jim Gordon, accept their errors and form a pact to assist Jim Gordon in the fight back against the mobsters and the protection of his fiancée, Barbara King. Also, a series of escalating attacks begin between the two big crime families, Falcone and Maroney, and casualties certainly do ensue on both sides, in particular Nikolai the Russian and Frankie, Maroney's right-hand man, as they face one another down over who has a piece of the penguin. However, above all, Fish Mooney certainly wants a piece of the penguin, as they come face-to-face in a memorable meeting 
at Maroney's favourite restaurant. In an episode full of the consequences of the revelation that Oswald is still alive, one final twist is revealed that leaves us in no doubt of the talent Oswald has for manipulation and the potential danger he poses to Gotham. I mean, I loved this episode. I thought it was a real cliffhanger of an episode, certainly with certainly with the twist at the end. It almost, to me, did feel a bit like a mid-season cliffhanger, given Gotham was going to be only 16 episodes. That might make sense. That could explain it. We're around, you know, we're at the seven. Yeah. Episode 7 mark, um, so that quite conceivably could have been a break point for, um, for a 16-episode season. But I loved it. I loved the revelation. I thought it was great. It really, I think, hopefully added to the notion and theories that we had talked about in Arkham about um, the Penguin being a great manipulator. But kind of what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, really enjoyed the episode. I loved the introduction of Victor Zaz. I've kind of been waiting for that one for a couple of weeks. Uh, played yeah, by yeah. Yeah, Anthony Carrigan, who we just saw on an episode of Flash about, uh, about two days ago. I think we were, we were watching an episode of Flash from this season. And he also plays a, a character on that called The Mist. Yeah. Um, Needless to say, by the look of Anthony Carrigan, it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a nice character. Let's let's say that he's he is a great presence in the episode. I really enjoyed it. Um, but overall, the episode itself, the revelations at the at the end of finally uh, seeing the master plan play out. Uh, I suppose that's been going on in the head of uh, of Oswald since uh, since the pilot all the way through. Um, we made some uh, some guesses as as to what the master plan might be, but I didn't actually expect that as the revelation and i'm delighted the fact that it's not mid-season finale and there's no cliffhanger here this is just a week break we're back next week with another episode and we're going to see how that plays out yeah it's really good and i i think as well it really um helps with all the serialized elements that have occurred since episode one as well all the way through we've kind of noted them as we've been going through the podcasts mm. about particularly the elements around the mcu um, to do with Oswald Cobblepot as well, how they build into this episode seven all the serialized elements um, of the series so far, yeah. which is really, really good. And there's not actually an investigation here. There's no direct investigation. It, it's now about revelation, yeah, ultimately. Yeah. True, very true, very true. Uh, the one piece that probably slightly disappointed me was just that we ended the episode on such a big, for me, a huge cliffhanger or a huge moment of the Penguin arriving at GCPD, uh, right in front of an arrested Jim Gordon, Harvey Bullock about to punch him in the face, essentially. And uh, and we don't get the opening of the episode isn't the revelation of how uh, that's that's dealt with by the MCU. It's not how it's dealt with in the GCPD. It opens with Oswald Cobblepot walking the streets like he's in um, like he's in the seventies, like he's in. Uh, What's the John Travolta film I'm thinking of? Uh, Staying Alive. Staying Alive, yeah. I was waiting for him to use his, his penguin umbrella to do the dance. <laughs> but yeah. I didn't think that was that much of an issue. I didn't think they necessarily needed to show the MCU saying, right, Jim, all's forgotten. <laughs> or, you know, Jim saying, I told you so. Or whatever it was. I didn't feel it needed that. I thought maybe... The whole thing around Harvey Bullock kind of got lost. That I would have preferred to have seen him like punch Jim Gordon. I think to just think that would have been really something that the character of Harvey Bullock would do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think 
He's being held back by Christmas Island. He was, the last episode, it, it could, it would have yeah. been nice to have seen sort of a, maybe you know a right hook get thrown <laughs> or something like that. I think that would have been really good. And then I think it was more just a thematic thing, a kind of a stylistic thing, where Penguin is parading down the s- street, obviously with his umbrella. That's mm-hmm. the title of the the episode, with all the other Moroni goons. That that to me, we've always seen from Moroni. I want to stick it to Falcone. I want to show him that I have presence, I've got power, I've got money, I've got influence just as much as you have. And I think this was ultimately a bit of a, maybe a two-fingered salute to Falcone, actually, of from Moroni. So, but I, I see what you mean. I do see what you yeah. mean. Um, and at least at least there is a moment later on in the episode where uh, where Harvey does get his moment with with um, with Jim. Exactly. So it, does, it does it does come back later on, and another great scene from uh, from uh, Harvey Bullock um, later on, definitely. And I think that's the same with the MCU. That whole aspect that they kind of got it wrong, and then the mending, building bridges with oh. Jim Gordon. That plays out over the episodes as well. So absolutely, I'm delighted that, that happened. I think we've we've spoken about it on a number of occasions how close or how similar in, I suppose, in personality or in approach to the law. It seems that the MCU and Jim are so close and should be allies. And ever since this first episode, he was on the back foot with them. They didn't trust him, and then finally he can step back and say, "Okay, right now you see what happened. You see see how everything worked out, and we're now friends." Yeah. So not only does he does he now trust them, and and they trust him? There's a whole uh, new new element to their relationship, which is great. Yeah, but it does then look as though everyone's out to get Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. He's essentially betrayed the most powerful man in Gotham, or at least of the underworld. Mm-hmm. At we least, don't know what might be at lurking least in the, the sewers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at least the most powerful man for the moment. <laughs> but yeah, um, but. Jim certainly knows that they, he's suddenly got a target on his back anyway. He knows that he's probably going to get like chased down by uh, Falcone. He realises there are consequences to his actions. And so, I mean, on the one hand, he is trying to get Barbara out of Gotham. He sends her off to the bus station. And then at the same time, he's trying to prepare himself to sort of almost do a counter-strike against them by getting a load of, of warrants um, signed by uh, one of the judges. And he's just going to, like, just put in Carmine Falcone, Mayor Aubrey, and so on, yeah. and just do this counter-strike against them. Yeah, it's interesting to see that his counter-strike kind of stems from the fact that he's going to use pre-signed warrants for the arrest of Falcone, for the arrest of Aubrey James. But yeah, he essentially has pre-signed warrants that he's going to use, which is completely against, again, the Jim Gordon that we've kind of known. It's a bit shady to be using a pre-signed warrant to go after the uh, these kind of heads of, of industry, and it scares the heck out of uh, Captain Fill in S. the blanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it scares the heck out of Captain S in, um, in here. She absolutely doesn't want to go up against these people and, and is really concerned because, you know, for the whole time she's asked Jim to be on plan. Um, she's asked him to follow her lead, essentially, and to follow Harvey's lead so that, they, so that none of them or their families are in danger, uh, which is the threat that's always been over the head of Falcon. And in, from the, Falcon, yeah, and in the same way that sort of uh, Jim is on to Barbara saying, get out of Gotham, Essen is saying the same thing to, to Jim, yeah. get out of Gotham. 
you know, what have you unleashed here is essentially her subtext. Yeah. Um, and she really, you really get this sense of her being very concerned um, for her officer in, in Jim Gordon. Absolutely. First time actually we hear from Essen that she's got a family um, as well. It's a little bit, a little bit of character development for yeah. Essen that she is a family uh, woman, I suppose, has, has got, has got, that's the piece that she's most concerned about. It's the, what's Falcon has tried to strike the fear into Jim by saying he'll go after his family. Harvey has reiterated that. We now have, I think the episode opens when one of the start, starting pieces is that Butch Gilzean, um, Fish's right-hand man, has been sent to get Barbara essentially and to, and to essentially put a gun to her head uh, until Jim comes quietly with them. Jim is te- definitely not returning in this episode. This is his episode where he's he's throwing all the rule book out and he's going to go after everybody here. And um, so, yeah, the first the first challenge, I suppose, is from Butch Gilzean. Um, yeah, Jim is and Captain Essen are rightly afraid this is going down in a big way. Mm-hmm. And you have then Butch going out after Jim Gordon through his fiance. Yeah. He heads essentially to the weak spot of Jim. Um, and I have to say now, I loved Butch Gilzean in this episode. I've loved him all the way throughout, but I just thought there was almost a bit more time. He had a few longer scenes yeah. um, than previously. And it was really good. I mean, his intimidation of Barbara is really frightening and sort of great. I mean, uh, it's just the way he's smiling um, and enjoying his work all the way throughout. It's just, he's got such a calm demeanor, the way he's portrayed. Um, Even when he's doing something that's quite obscene in a sense, Mm -hmm. you know, and this intimidation of Barbara. Almost, you know, have you ever been with a criminal, he asks her. It's just really yeah. kind of threatening. Isn't it? Yeah, some, some women find it a turn-on kind of thing. Yeah, it's really, really dangerous. And then you kind of see that twist on him when, when Jim doesn't take the bait, really. It leads to this scene here. Okay, have it your way. But now, after we kill you, we're going to kill Blondie too. Nice and slow. Essentially, yeah, you're going to kill Blondie slowly. You know, it's uh, going to kill you and then Blondie slowly. It's uh, it's a really tough kind of attitude from from Drew Powell here. I think he plays the part great of Butch Gilzean, and he did a great job. And definitely in these scenes, Jim is definitely brilliant. Again, he takes takes the gun, um, takes both of them out. It's a really good action scene, almost. Yeah, it's a good elbow in the face, actually. Yeah, to Butch, really good. Poor Butch is left on the floor of Barbara's, Barbara's apartment. Yeah, and then. He packs Barbara off uh, on the coach mm-hmm. uh, to get out of Gotham. He literally is like pushing her out of Gotham through the coach station. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, I'll make things right and then I'll come and join you. There's no kind of indication of where maybe the bus is going or the yeah. coach is going, I should say. But she asks the question, what if you don't? And Jim Gordon is just like, don't come back. Don't come back to Gotham. There's yeah. a real, it's really left hanging in, in, in the air as to or what happens if he doesn't there's almost the implicit assumption that he isn't going to make it yeah yeah now we mentioned before in some of the other episodes about about gotham sometimes feeling a little like a western i think we were kind of given that direction when we spoke to danny cannon about them using western tropes or western ideas 
this really feels like sending off his lady his lady on on the stagecoach while he sets up his last stand you know coming back into the gcpd and setting up the warrants for arrest like the real sheriff in town you know it's got the real vibe about it like a western yeah. and then zaz arrives uh to the gcpd uh while he's setting up the setting up these things and again it just feels like the other rival gang have arrived to take down the sheriff he looks cool as anything and i have to say loved just how he was played by anthony carrigan like he did it so well he was just really sort of creepy just with the shaved head and kind of the real bug eyes mm. i know that doesn't sound too flattering but i mean like <laughs> he just like had this kind of expression of just absolute pure i'm crazy yeah but i mean a crazy killer do you remember? Um, um, do you remember a comic called uh, Metropolitan? Do you remember that? Yeah, that yeah. Really stood out like that. Exactly. He's got his Doc Martin boots on. He's a real kind of uh, real evil looking character. But I like, yeah, that, that, that's what he was reminding me of. It really, really good. Like, Definitely looks like something out of a comic. <laughs> but the fish sends her own man, her trusted and um, confidant, her loyal goon mm. in Butch Girls in to get Jim. Yeah, yeah. And Carmine sends his killer to get Jim and I presume that Cal Falcone doesn't know that Butch has gone after him this is the yeah. interesting thing the return of Oswald is much more problematic for Fish Mooney absolutely because he was her bellhop almost to an extent you know he, he was her umbrella holder yeah he was the umbrella holder exactly <laughs> and he knows things he heard things he probably saw things and she knows that and hence there's two very different reasons why these two killers are going after the same guy yeah yeah if you remember back there was a the discussion between falcone and uh, and fish mooney back in episode two or three um when essentially falcone is saying he did get some information out of oswald before he died is essentially what he's what he's saying you know that dead men tell uh tell very honest stories uh fish was really concerned about that because he knows a lot of stories about her uh, and now to, now to know that he's alive and can tell even more stories that he may not have told on his in that five minute discussion they might have had back then it gets it's, it really gets her hackles up and gets her really concerned about about what could happen here you know she doesn't know the revelation about about uh, oswald working for falcone she doesn't know that they're that connected and he does know all that information um about about her but we have enter victor sans yeah. Um, yeah. crazy, <laughs> looking really, really good, yeah. spooky, deeply intense, like crazy intense. Absolutely. Um, and with two other colleagues, presumably <laughs> of a similar psychotic nature. His henchwomen. Yeah. 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 It's um, quite a different character from the comic book, I suppose. Zaz in the comics, uh, I think it's from around about 1992. Um, he's much more, much more, much crazier character. He's not someone that you would send out as a henchman for a particular reason. He essentially is a psychopath who kills people. That's it. That's kind of the thing. You alluded to it earlier on that he uh, he cuts himself whenever he kills someone. Uh, here he murders a murders a police officer for no reason at all. He shoots her in the leg and then walks up close to her and kills her at close range and then marks himself as as victim twenty eight. Isn't it? Um, so he's. He's done this many times before, he, but he does seem much more sharp and smooth than you would you would have seen him in the comic books. Well, yeah, and he doesn't just shoot the the lady cop who happens to be in the precinct's car park um, at the time. He also gets a shot off at Jim Gordon mm -hmm. and catches him as well. And yeah. that shootout in the precinct, you know, you 
the intimidation he brings where in essence he clears out in essence, in essence <laughs> um he clears out the GCPD precinct of mm-hmm. all the cops, yeah. all the officers, except for Captain Essen. Hi, Jim. Relax. We're supposed to take you in alive. Don Falcone wants to talk. Tell Falcone we'll talk. But not today. Don't be that way. Alive is a very broad category. A man with no hands can still be alive. Now, it's not to say that the cops are corrupt and they're all um, being paid by Falcone. That might be the case, certainly, mm-hmm. for a lot of them. 50%, 50-50, who knows? But certainly maybe there's a lot of self-preservation. It's like I get the sense he has a reputation and that probably a lot of people know whether they're in the pocket of Falcone or not. And this is a lot more about self-preservation. And Jim actually tells Essen, you know, get out what don't stay here on my behalf kind of thing. So you do get the feeling that she is going to actually stand with him a bit. Yeah, I yeah. got that kind of feeling anyway. Yeah. And that's, again, again, it does feel like the Wild West. It does feel like she's going to stand by her her uh, her sheriff, but almost as she's the deputy and he's the sheriff, which is which is kind of odd that she takes uh, that step back a bit. But she looks like she's going to stay, and then uh, and Jim sends her off um, and then stands up to Saz. But they have that great shootout in the the parking lot, um, in the car park, where it's cat and mouse of Jim Gordon running away, injured from a shot to the kind of the ribs, I think, like to the rib section of, yeah, of his like a body. Shot, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we have the hero moments, Absolutely. the um, the stagecoach to have the Western analogy, you come riding in with the the backup, the cavalry, as the MCU show up, put on the handbrake, mm-hmm. put, leave a bit of rubber on the, the concrete, and out uh, pop Montoya and Alan, the detectives who unfortunately got it wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and now they're here to protect Jim because they know that they got it wrong. And they're, in a sense, now making up for it. Um, and it's great to see them come in with that hero shot uh, and start firing and protecting Jim as they kind of bundle him into the back of the car. Loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved it. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. But they're the ones that get him, get him fixed. They send him to, uh, bring him to Gotham University and get him, uh, get him sorted out. They, they get one of the veterinarians, I think, in the, in the university to, uh, to sort out his... Yeah, it's a dissection his... lab, so he yeah. was quite lucky to leave there with his four limbs, Absolutely. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More so than the, the rats that were caged up um, in, in the lab as well. But, um, yeah, we really see... Um, it's great seeing this interplay between uh, Detective Montoya, uh, Detective Allen and Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. And this then kind of develops further from that dissection. Yeah, yeah, we knew there we knew they'd be friends. Uh, finally, uh, Montoya has to give proper apology to to Jim. She's actually apologized to him a few times now um for the personal feeling she had of Barbara getting in the way of the job uh, and the investigation, but she still didn't give up on it. She was still hugely protective of Barbara and then realized that may have actually clouded her judgment. She may have needed to investigate this a little bit deeper. She was kind of looking for a scapegoat. Um, even though she is a great cop, uh, she was looking for a scapegoat and found Jim 
to be the to be the one that she wants to pin this murder on essentially yeah i mean she says you know i'm very glad we're on the same side now mm -hmm. i mean it's almost that point that it's an apology but it's also an apology to say that well i had my suspicions and they were right at the time and you didn't confide in us we certainly pulled you up over what we thought was going and you didn't correct us so it just looked more and more suspicious so they're kind of glad that it's almost like a clearing of the air actually yeah. it's more of bringing it up it's all floated to the surface now and they can finally move on and we see a really great kick-ass alfred as well and um, now and i would say that detective allen is pretty tough to bring down um sure. you know Certainly, Andrew Jones. Jones. It seems like a, a big guy. You know, he can probably hold his own in a in a bar fight, maybe. I'm and sure. here we have um, Alfred. I think he's got him in a headlock or something like that. Really, um, see a kick-ass Alfred, and he's kind of all a bit like chipper, going sorry about that mate, and yeah. and so on. Um, but it's just the training we spoke about before. The the the. Uh, the training that he's gotten from from the army is definitely paying off. They're definitely showing them the show. It may have been off screen, <laughs> but uh, but they're showing that this man can can do some do some good stuff. He is really the security head of the Wayne family, uh, in the guise of a butler, <laughs> of a humble little butler. Yeah. Uh, but from this, Christmas Allen and Rennie Montoya get mm -hmm. introduced to the young Bruce Wayne um, at Wayne Manor, and get introduced actually in quite an important point uh, because. Not only does Jim still feel that he's not going to survive any of this, mm -hmm. he makes the point to say, these are really good cops and they will carry on my investigation of your parents' murder. So mm -hmm. it's, I mean, I don't think this is a development of Montoya and Allen as two detectives in the GCPD of the MCU that are now being linked quite directly to the case. I'm not too sure that that's happened in the comics where they've maybe identified GCPD detectives as um, those investigating Thomas and Martha Wayne's um, murder. So this is an interesting little development as well, and quite important, I think, um, for some of the backstory or and um, additional story points around their murders. Yeah, certainly, certainly, and I think another another point to kind of pick out of that. The whole scene—it's a fantastic scene. I think Devin Mazus is is brilliant and really, really good. Yeah, you know, it's it's. I suppose that the big thing here is that he's lost his parents. He's got Alfred. He's known Alfred for a number of years, but Jim he kind of latched on to after his parents died. He was the first first adult he saw when his, after his parents were killed. Um, he latched on to him as another father figure, essentially. And Jim's coming to him, telling him, "I might not, I might not survive tonight, um, but you can trust these guys a hundred percent." to take on my work, to continue investigating the death of your parents. Um, so he doesn't hold grudges. Jim doesn't hold any grudges at all towards Montoya and Alan. And he's now introducing them to Bruce as being the next set of surrogate parents, essentially, for him, the next people that will guide him and help him in this quest to find who killed his parents. And that's a really interesting point. Too. Yeah, and I, I think coming back to um, David Mazous and how he portrays this, you know, I'm glad they tackled it. I'm glad that he, Bruce Wayne says, don't treat me like a child. Mm -hmm. And Jim responds with, but you are a child. And I'm really glad they tackled that. You could ask the question, you know, why is someone who's 12 or 13 doing what Bruce Wayne is doing? And um, 
it just is a really nice way because I think um Mazus kind of delivers the line, you expect to die, and I would like to know why. And I think it's an immensely powerful thing that ends up with the two of them as sort of hugging. Mm-hmm. Um, because in a sense, Bruce Wayne is also scared for Jim Gordon here. And it's really important probably for the connections of Jim Gordon and Bruce Wayne when Bruce Wayne dons the cowl and the cape. There is a huge leap of faith by the Batman in Jim Gordon. Mm -hmm. Certainly when you look at Batman Year One, where there's all this corruption all over the place, and Batman chooses to work with Jim Gordon or to involve Jim Gordon in his crusades, his uh, fight against the criminals. Mm -hmm. And to me, this potentially has a really strong underpinning to that because of the bonds that they've created, not only from the previous shows, and that obviously leads to this, but this idea that Bruce Wayne is like, you are expecting to die Mm -hmm. on the basis of things that have happened to my family, and I want to know why. Mm -hmm. I might be a child, but I still want you to explain to me and tell me why. And I think that's really, really great. I think that's really mature writing and good that they've touched on it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's I think it's a fantastic, fantastic piece. You know, we we continue on with Jim. We follow Jim's kind of exploits. I think we we will we'll run through those essentially. Um, he goes back to Barbara's apartment to tulip, and um, for the uh, for the impending war that he's uh, that he's beginning. Um, that's that's a fantastic scene. It's a real action movie scene from the uh, from the eighties, isn't it? It's a real uh, you know go get all the guns, get them all set up. He's willing to do this all as a one man show as well. He's he doesn't expect to bring anybody else in on this, and Harvey arrives uh, out of nowhere. Yeah, with the Duchess of Devonshire. <laughs> um, yeah, a fantastic moment. Uh, brilliant. The, um, like the last we saw, the other, we saw the two of them in this episode was, you know, Harvey was was essentially trying to beat up Jim for, for lying to him for so long and putting his life on the line. Uh, Jim asked him to trust him at the end of that scene, and you know we've we got to work together on this. Give me give me time to sort this out, essentially. And now he's returned drunken with a hooker um, to uh, to Barbara's the Duchess apartment. of Devonshire. The Duchess, yes, um, to yes. Uh, to Barbara's apartment to bury me in a wide shaped coffin. <laughs> um, yeah, and I don't know the Duchess of Devonshire, but I suspect that. Uh, she bears no resemblance nice. to this lady of the night. Um, absolutely. So, so. Um, this scene has some of the great lines from uh, from Harry Bullock for this absolutely. episode. Absolutely. And we definitely, you know, and we, we don't seem to have a Joker watch uh, recently for the last couple of weeks. I think we should have a have a, a Harveyisms or, or a Bullockisms um, section of our epi- of our episode. Now he's had some of the best lines so far. This is the Joker watch because it's hilarious. <laughs> it is. It is. I love the uh, the first one that he has. I figure I'm doomed anyhow. I might as well join the good guys. There's so many great ones from Harvey in this scene, you know, where Jim tells him his plan. Here is a great one, too. Well, that's a, that's a hell of a plan. You sit down with a panel of chimpanzees and a bucket of crack and come up with that one. This sequence of Harvey Bullockisms is just brilliant. And, I mean, he kind of finishes it off with, you know, is that your best inspirational speech? Um, you know, just do our job and arrest the bad guys. Yeah, I think Donald Logan, the scene is great. He plays drunk really well again. <laughs> this scene, he's definitely had a few uh, when he's arrived, when he arrives back with the Duchess, and these lines are really, really good. And as they go off to enact the plan and go and arrest Mayor Aubrey James, 
the other side of the house, there's a little ton going on with between Roni and Falcone families, and they have they have their plan as well, really. Yeah, it all just really kicks off. In particular, when Fish finds out that Oswald Cobblepot is still alive. Mm. I mean, she goes nuts, yep. and kind of quite right too, because he knows everything about her. Um, in that sense, and. We come to this whole clashing then of Falcone and Maroni families. Again, apparently and seemingly over Oswald Gobblepot. Yeah, yeah. Because he wasn't killed. That's the reason. And we have this conflab um, in the warehouse again of Falcone's gang. And Fish, you know, she says he knows things. And, you know, you can see that that's the desperation that is driving her, is that he knows about her and that he must be killed. And I think she then lists off and Jim Gordon and Harvey Bullock Mm -hmm. and Maroney. They all need, I mean, she's like crazy, um, kill everyone in the whole wide world. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's kind of almost hysterical. Yeah. But that's because... It's really close to her plan and yeah. her own plans against Falcone. Yeah, absolutely. As we mentioned earlier on, this is very much she gets kind of angry and more and more angry. The less and less Falcone seems to care about this. He's obviously got his plan. We know that from the end of the episode. We know that he he's fully involved in this plan, in his plan. But Fish doesn't know about it. Obviously, she doesn't know the connection that he has there, and she's she's wondering why he doesn't care that one of her closest, um, not confidants from Oswald, but one of the people who was closest to her and knows all about her, why he doesn't care that he's now in the hands of Sal Maroney. Um, she takes takes matters into her own hands and goes and vi- visits um, the Maroney family and goes and uh, goes to, to try and strike a, a deal to get Oswald back. Um, Maroney politely refuses, um, but she gets this lovely apology from, uh, from Oswald Cobblepot. Hello, Penguin. Hello, Miss Mooney. Penguin, Miss Mooney and her boss, Mr. Falcone, feel disrespected by you. Oh, dear. Well, that certainly has never been my intention. No, respect is very important to them. Now, I want a sincere apology from you for making them feel that way. Oh, gosh, of course. If I've in any way caused anyone to feel a lack of respect, I apologize. Sincerely. There you go. Can't say fairer than that. Yeah, but essentially great great apology. But uh, but essentially when, when he apologizes and she doesn't get him back, she then takes matters into her own hands again and says it's gonna be war now and has Butch Gilzine go and uh, go and start taking out his, his trucks and his money, his source of source of money. Yeah, I think she says along the lines of well, bloodshed then. Um, you know, Jolly fat men are so tiresome, um, and only my friends call me fish. I mean, this is really, really on the nose. I mean, she is going after all of them. <laughs> it's quite impressive to see mm-hmm. um, across all of this. I mean, she mentions to Carmine, um, we need to send a message. And then you see the the machinations that she's having with Nikolai. He seems too calm. He's playing with chickens in his warehouse. And then she goes off to Maroney 
at the behest of um, Falcone. Mm-hmm. But he says politely, do it politely. Yeah. Make sure you don't go over. And then you know, you see Maroney again trying to just rub the Falcone gang's face in it. It's just his whole manner is sarcastic, but it's a lovely meeting of Fish, Maroney, and obviously Penguin. Um, and uh, well, she gives him a good slap. She does. She gives she him does. a good slap. Um, <laughs> and it kind of just harks back for me to sort of the time when Maroney just smashes Oswald Cobblebot's face into the table. It's kind of. Yeah. Oswald comes across as so kind of timid and nervous around there. And we get to see later on just how manipulative he is. I mean, to the point, is this manipulative? And um, We see Penguin here manipulating Maroney's man, um, Frankie. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see that Frankie knows something isn't quite right with Oswald Cobblepot. He certainly um, doesn't trust him. He he knows that he's got he's got eyes on the prize very much, but everybody else seems to be giving Oswald a bit of a pass, as you say, because he probably looks quite timid. He doesn't seem like he would be someone that would stand up. We mentioned it in the first episode, really, that he he looked as if he wanted to take over the whole of Gotham. He wanted to be in the lead, and would anybody ever report into him? He has a good answer for that in this episode, really, doesn't he? It does show that he can be a leader, um, just purely by knowing people and knowing what what they how to get to them um, and knowing what to do to manipulate them into the way he's thinking. Yeah, I mean, he's actually positioned himself within Maroney's um, organization, where Maroney's going. You know, he's the golden goose, mm-hmm. um, and you know. That's why they want him so bad. You know, Frankie, that, why do they want him so bad? What is going on? And he's the golden goose. Yeah. That's three mil per week right there. Four and a half mil per gross cash. A very aggressive move, isn't it? An overreaction. They want to scare you. Oh, is that right? You think that they think that Don Maroney could be scared? Of course, you're right. No. But why then would they react so ferociously? Why do they want me back so badly? I know why. Because they know I got a stole moneymaker here. A golden goose. They know it, and they don't want us to have them. Right, Penguin? Honk, honk. <laughs> what? Honk, honk. It's what geese say. <laughs> right, right. Honk, honk. Honk, honk. And, of course, as you say, then, we see Butch with his, um, again, another great line from Butch Girls in from Drew Powell, who... He plays him. Hey, sisters, how's it hanging? <laughs> the nuns on the, the run. The nuns on the run. <laughs> um, from the van as he abducts them, where it's now this start to, of an escalation of attacks between um, Falcone and Maroney, but probably more likely to be actually under Fisher's orders rather mm-hmm. than Falcone's. Yeah. Falcone has just said, do it politely, yet this is happening. Yeah, do you think this has anything to do with uh, the Penguin connection? Because they're dressed in black and white? I'm that sure the there I'm must gonna... be a little... <laughs> there must have been a, a, um, a, a little nod to that. non-Penguin um, joke there. But it is pretty brutal, though. He essentially chains them all up across uh, across one of the tunnels coming into the city of Gotham to block off from uh, from a truck, a 16-wheeler truck that's arrived. Um, what if he hadn't seen them? 
they're dressed in black in in, in a tunnel. What if they hadn't seen them? That could have been a pretty brutal end to uh, to the four nuns here. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. um, but then on this tit for tat kind of fighting, we then see uh, Maroni do a hit on one of Falcone's um, warehouses, yeah. and this is where a we get the old school uh, bomb. And when I say old school, I mean S-K-O-O-L. You know, with all the wires and the little ticking clock. Loved it. It's certainly out of Batman 66. I thought it was pretty good. You know, I think it's a nice little reference and a nice little nod. I'm liking those little touches. It's like with the cannolis, you know, in the bright pink box and it all looking very suspicious and... Yes, I this... have. I have. Uh, have a comedy bomb supposed to blow the bloody doors off. That's what I've got written there. Yeah. And <laughs> um, so you know we have that, but we start to see the master manipulator of the Penguin mm-hmm. where in one stroke he takes out two huge players in all of this. I suppose house of cards. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, Nikolai the Russian is shot dead in the attack and is killed, taking out Fish's ally in that in the Falcone family. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, afterwards, you see Frankie then challenge Oswald. Yeah, he's essentially Frankie Carbone has essentially said that this this was his plan to begin with was that he was going to take out Oswald Cobblepot at this location. This is the first time he's been alone with them. Um, the first time that he's he's been sent in to do some dirty work with 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 Oswald in the lead, he says that he that in the crossfire, hopefully he was going to be able to take out uh, Oswald, and Oswald gets him back. Oswald does exactly the same thing to him, essentially. Yeah, a really great psychology um, mm-hmm. of the whole thing about you know what your greatest passion is becomes your greatest weakness. That ultimately. Um, Frankie was a skinflint. Yeah. Frankie's challenging him, saying, you're very clever. And I just love um, Oswald's... Oh, I'm so glad we're clearing the air. Just the way he... That turn of phrase is so good. And he is, you're no golden goose. Um, you're a yellow belly liar. And then we get the interplay where Oswald uses what I can only say is starting to look like his favourite weapon of choice um, with the, the dagger mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, in the stomach, twice yep, pretty brutal Nasty. pretty yeah, brutal yeah. Like, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of deaths in, in Gotham he delivers the line that ultimately Frankie was a cheapskate yeah, yep um, no, fantastic scene, and, and it's sorry to see Frankie Carbone go. It's a uh, it's a character from Long Halloween. Uh, Frankie Carbone is uh, yeah. Sam Raimi's right hand man in that as well. Um, very different uh, storyline, so this hasn't ruined Long Halloween. I've said it before. Go read it, um, <laughs> but really, really good. But yeah, it's, it's a sad, sad end to uh, to a person who seemed to feel he was untouchable and seemed to feel that he was much smarter than Oswald and uh, learns pretty quickly that's not the case. No, and it finally, great iconic image of the two mob bosses Mm. on the docks where they kind of say, you know, we've both lost precious family members. And it's interesting that they call them family members, you Mm -hmm. know, um, in Frankie and Nikolai. And 
again stood behind them behind Falcone is Fish Mooney, behind Moroni is Oswald. Arkham is settled, business is good. When Enterprises is back in play mm-hmm. that he mentions, and again, this is a really interesting line where Thomas and Martha probably brought it out of play, yeah. and now we have fairly dubious elements, a, a nod back to the um, the Viper episode. Mm-hmm. At Wayne Enterprises is pretty um, corrupt internally uh, as well, and the Falcon gets some compensation. Um, I believe India, Indian Hill, yeah, uh, an old burial ground in Arkham. I think Fish describes it as a toxic waste dump. You know why is why is he giving you that? Is there anything in this? It'd be interesting because it is Oswald that. Uh, suggests it. Absolutely, a couple of things about this scene that are really important once you've gotten to the end of the episode. So, number one, uh, Falcon is the one that ordered the hit on Nikolai to take him off the table. So, it's not a member of his family. It's someone that had, so that had stabbed him in the back, essentially. So, he got retribution on him. Oswald gets to kill um, Carbone. So, a little bit more retribution from Oswald. And he gets to take out, Falcone gets to take out the second in command in the Moroni family, essentially. So that's two wins for Falcone. And now he gets another win. He essentially gets the piece of land that's been suggested to to Moroni to give over to Falcone is clearly important to Falcone, but he's not going to show it. It may sound like a waste dump or an Indian burial ground that has no value to Moroni, which is why he handed it over. But clearly Falcone wanted it. Clearly Falcone wanted more uh, more assets within Arkham than than he had originally gotten in his deal with Moroni in the past. Exactly. Like, the strategy that is coming out to play here is really great. Mm. And it's great for Falcone, because he is in the driving seat. Also, it would certainly appear. Absolutely. You know, as you say, it is essentially three wins out of three, um, and Moroni mm. is blind to it, unless... And Fish is blind to it as well. And Fish. Yeah. Unless, and this is pure, out-and-out, wild, All right, probable nonsense. Speculation zone from But general. who knows? Like, will there be another twist in episode 15? Mm. Um, will there be a t- twist episode 10 that our friends over in the US and Canada are going to see that we're not going to be aware of? Where Maroney is in on it. Or, you know, that Oswald is this master manipulator because... There is a fairly dubious line that he gives to Falcone um, at the end of, of the the episode when we get the revelation, where he does say, you'll see the light one way or another, as him and Falcone are in an embrace by the, the chicken shed at Falcone's <laughs> mansion. Yeah. So, you know, just because of that revelation, I wonder, not that... I wonder what more are to come or what double crosses are to come from Oswald. Yeah, yeah, we're about a third of the way into the season so far now. Um, what more is, what more will happen in the future between these characters? Um, yeah, really, really interesting. I love, as, as I say, this is really uh, brings out a huge amount for Falcone in this scene. Uh, he seems to have, have gained quite a lot from, from his relationship with Oswald. 
Uh, it's really, 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 really interesting uh, what's happened there. Yeah, and so then we come ultimately to the big finale of this episode with Harvey and Jim arresting Mayor Aubrey and then taking him to Falcone's residence Yeah, to arrest Falcone. It's a big move. Really big move. Yeah. I mean, this is absolute sort of all cards are on the table mm-hmm. and all bets are off do or die situation, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And... um. Ultimately, the rug gets pulled from underneath their feet because Victor, good old psycho Victor, has got Barbara. He should have known better. Yeah. I mean, like, how have gotten on a plane, let alone a coach? <laughs> She's probably and, not a girl um, that travels on, the, travels on the bus very often. <laughs> no, and, um, you know, they have her, uh, and they have her at the house, and Carmine uses this ultimately as a huge bargaining chip yeah. um, against Jim so that he doesn't arrest him. Yeah, it's it's another another character with a plan B in this city that everybody plans for just every eventu- every eventuality in this city. Uh, Got to uh, see that. You know, Falcone sits there and says, you know, what if I had a knife to Barbara's throat? Um, I do. It's called Victor's ass. He's right there. And even as a even as a viewer, when I when I saw that that piece, I'm going, uh, nah, no, nah, he's lying. There's no way, there's no way she'd be that silly to come back to the city. Uh, but we know her love is deep, and uh, she thought she could convince uh, convince him to release Jim, to release his claim on Jim, essentially. But um, again, there is that plead from Falcone, which, to an extent, whether we believe it or not, at this moment. I don't know, because at the chicken coop, he does say to um, Cobblepot mm. that he th- always thought it was a mistake keeping Jim Gordon alive. Yeah. Um, rather than letting him live, which transpires because of this whole scene and this whole situation. But Falcone comes back again to Jim saying that you know, the system is not the enemy. This system of organized crime and organized policing is not the enemy. Anarchy is the enemy. Um, Gotham needs upstanding men like you both. And he's talking to Harvey Bullock here. So yeah. obviously we have to probably take this with a huge pinch of, <laughs> he's of prob- salt. He's probably lying. Um, you know, Jim Gordon in, in himself is kind of asking, you know, what's the catch? You're just going to let me go. And it doesn't maybe um, feel right to Jim or Harvey that they've just been um, let off the hook. But Falcone says, someday soon you'll see I'm right. And you just wonder, obviously has got to do with Arkham. It's obviously got to do with Wayne Enterprises as well being involved in that. But he makes that plea again to Jim that the system isn't bust. Yeah. And the system is the best way of having order, calm, um, and not having chaos and anarchy. Yeah, of, but course, of is, course you would. It's worked for him for the exactly. last Exactly. <laughs> and de- is decades. it to do with Oswald having asked Falcone to keep Jim alive? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm 100%. He, he questions over leaving Jim alive. And he's talking to to um, Penguin after this, after this scene, essentially. He questions why he left him alive. That was the one favour that Oswald... Um, that Oswald wanted out of this situation, partially because essentially Penguin thinks, or Oswald thinks that he has Jim wrapped around his fingers. Um, 
he thinks that he can manipulate Jim just like he manipulates everybody else. So why lose that benefit or power that he has? Um, so that's his little... That's his completely little agree. I completely yeah. agree. I think that's exactly it. Is It goes back to the Arkham episode that for Oswald, Oswald sees Jim as a really important piece of his um, way up the power and influence in... Mm -hmm. Uh, in Gotham because he is able to feed information to Jim Jim has acted on that he's able to um, use Jim's connections to further his own ends mm -hmm. and in that sense that's really um, really important I think for, for this season to see how those interactions between Jim and Oswald play out yeah. um, but we do get treated to a another flashback actually and um, Back to episode one after the first meeting of Falcone and Cobblepot. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is where all the revelations fall, as we've we've talked through a lot of them. But one of the big ones, obviously, is is the big secret that uh, that Oswald's been holding that that is going to keep him alive, essentially, which is that Nikolai and Fish are lovers, and that's that's how that's how uh, Falcone finds out about this. Um, mm -hmm. That's why he's he's not trusting Fish from that point onwards. He doesn't trust her at all. He knows her plan um, because of what Oswald tells him here. And we also find I will be your snitch for life. Um, I'll work my way to, into Moroni's organization. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, is he being true to his word there? Because that's certainly a big statement and a great um, ally for Falcone and well, a great snitch for Falcone um, if he's going to be his snitch for life. Mm -hmm. um, we see that almost he feels he has the measure of Jim Gordon here by saying, give the shooting to Jim Gordon. Mm -hmm. He's the only one that may let me live. So even this maybe is a slight gamble yeah. um, as to his future. And the uncanny thing that Falcone says is that it played out the way you described. All of this has played out the way you've described is it further manipulation on manipulation? Mm -hmm. That, to me, is a really important line that suggests there's other irons in the fire for Oswald Cobblepot that haven't been revealed to us yet as, as the audience. Yeah. And that's really exciting. I can't wait to see if that's the case um, in future episodes. And as I say, you get then that veiled threat from Oswald to... Command, or I think it is. Okay. I'm not entirely sure whether it, it's just the way it's delivered, the look on Oswald's face. It says, "You'll see the light, one way or another." Um, I don't know. Oh, right, yeah. I yeah. kind of get I didn't the take feeling. Like that, yeah. Is that light the light of the last thing you see <laughs> before uh -huh. you die? Um, is it um, that you will be? It will be revealed exactly what's going on. I my own manipulations of you that you're in the dark. It's yeah. all suggestive. Or is it just something uh, the way the way I took it? And I totally agree with your opinion, actually. <laughs> but the way I took it was just simply: you'll see the light. You'll see. You'll don't worry. You'll see that I am the right person to work for you, kind of thing. But you, you're absolutely right. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with all you. that. Like the, there's, it's a very ambiguous statement to make, mm -hmm. of which there are some potentially threatening undertones that you could interpret from how he delivered that line and just the line in itself and that again um 
is great. And he thanks Falcone for the favour of keeping Jim Gordon alive. You mm-hmm. know, you get that again that actually maybe the penguin created Jim Gordon because <laughs> Jim uh, Jim Gordon is only around in Gotham because the penguin asked Falcone to spare him. Yeah, yeah. Really good point. Overall, excellent episode. Um, really so good far. episode. Um, is there anything of... else that you want to tease out from the episode? It's a couple of little things. Just they're they're not uh, they're they're just little fun touches. I love Victor's as uh, ringtone. Um, Got to move on. Is I think which I, which is just fantastic. His little uh, completely incongruous to character. It's a little disco track from the seventies, which I which I thought was yeah. hilarious. Really really good one. Uh, the other piece which we didn't speak about. Fish's weapon, Lisa, um, seems to have been neutered, yes. neutered quite largely, and I would presume... Well, let's hope not. She's essentially just being made to cook and clean for Falcone. So, you know, either Falcone realises that this is Lisa is the weapon, or maybe not, maybe that's just his thing, because remember, Oswald wasn't there when, when Lisa was created as the weapon, so yeah. he shouldn't know anything about it. Maybe he just... Maybe he has given some insight to Falcone. This could be a way that she would use to get to him. This is Fish Mooney's plan B, isn't it, yeah. as well? So this is something, as you say, Oswald was never in on. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting as well, because, yeah, I mean, I had the same kind of feeling. Completely, the weapon doesn't quite seem to be working. Um, you know, I think Nikolai and Fish Mooney make the point um, when they've got the big conflab in Falcone's warehouse saying he hasn't touched um, the weapon. You know, it's like he knows that there's something going on that it's not panning out the way it's not panning out the way Fish Mooney thought it was. Um, and then I think, other than that, the only other addition I have from this is that we do get to see um, a nod to Detective Alvarez, That's um, right, yeah. who is another member of. Gotham Central, who ultimately becomes part of the MCU Mm -hmm. because of his great detective work. And he's the one that's kind of handing to Jim the blank warrants signed by, um, I think it was Judge Warren. So, again, there's another just nice little reference, another um, addition to the GCPD Mm -hmm. and there is Detective Alvarez. Yeah, yeah. Overall, another, another great episode. Um, really enjoyed it. I think the last three, four episodes have been really, really good for me. I think uh, they've been they've been really keeping the quality up. And as I said, the one thing I'm delighted about is it did feel like a like a, a season or mid season break. It seemed like a season finale. It seemed like there was a big cliffhanger, and we've only got a week to wait to find out what happens. Which I know. Is great. Yeah, I think uh, with that, on to some feedback that we got. Fascinating. Fascinating. So one of our first bit of feedback is from Detective Butcher, uh, Daniel Butcher, and he shouts out with detectives. Um, I'm not done with the goat episode yet, the spirit of the goat episode yet, but don't you need evidence like a body to accuse someone of murder? And really, um, there's no love for Ed's cup. Can't a guy establish a brand? Question mark. <laughs> so, I like that. What do you think? Do you think that the cup was a cup too far? No. <laughs> yes, it was. We we definitely talked about it last week. I'm not a, not a fan of Ed's cup. I think it was a it was a bit just a bit too on the nose. I think which was what we said last week. Um, 
he has to get his question mark suit somewhere, I suppose. So perhaps this is just a way of setting it up. It just felt a little bit early. I don't know. It wasn't as huge. No, I, I think so. And I think the interesting thing as well that kind of made it slightly worse for me was that there was a really good um, interview with Corey Michael Smith, um, I think for Gotham on Five. And it was a, it's a really interesting little uh, interview with him and we'll put it in the show notes for for people to to look at because he really the way he describes how he's playing the character i thought was fascinating mm. and i found it really interesting and to me something like the question mark cup that um he had there yes it's a bit of fun but it slightly undermined him a bit right right because we he's called edward digma we've had him scribbling question marks on a pad and we've had other members of the gcpd talk about him and talking in riddles he does pose riddles Mm -hmm. to people Um, and so i just don't know whether we need a cup with a question mark on it i would prefer to see him being OCD with regards to organising a filing system in in the shape of a dendritic um, moss growth mm-hmm. rather than a hierarchical one um, because he's obsessive and also highly intelligent in that sense. I prefer to see him have awkward interactions with members of the, the opposite sex like um, Christian Kringle mm-hmm. like he, and like he has. And even with the likes of Harvey Bullock where... You know, he gets that short shrift from him. And you see that kind of um, dislike for for how he's treated in his eyes. That, to me, is a better way of establishing the Riddler and um, and obviously the character of Edward Nigma than, I think, just simply holding a cup with a question mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I agree. Um, to, to Daniel's other question, don't you need... Uh, evidence like a body to accuse someone of murder. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I, I I just made the joke that uh, that essentially so many bodies probably go missing in Gotham. They may have different laws there um, than we do in the real world. Um, you know, at the end of the day, they do have they do have a, a an eyewitness who says that he saw Jim Gordon shoot uh, Oswald Cobblepot, uh, and his body fell into the fell into the river. So probably a strong tide may have taken it away. But the fact that they have they have got an eyewitness to this does mean they can arrest him for it. Yeah, I think that's kind of that. Yeah, I mean, this is an arrest, yeah. not necessarily a judgment yeah. or a court ruling. Yeah, and now they don't need one. So. And now they don't need one. Yeah. They found the body, it walked into the GCPD with uh, <laughs> <laughs> holding an umbrella. Um, so thanks, um, Daniel. Thank you to Daniel for, for that feedback on the GOAT episode. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> We also got a little bit, some more context, really, I think, from uh, some of our listeners in, in the US on Twitter, which was really nice. And we, Doug Green, I think, first off, I think he really liked the Spirit of the Goat episode, but that everything then begins and starts to ramp up um, from here on out. So, given the ending of this one, which was amazing, and the revelation of Falcone and Oswald in cahoots mm-hmm. uh, and sort of undermining fish and moroni with the deaths of nikolai and of uh, frankie then and this is really interesting then to see what happens in next week's episode 
Yeah. Can't wait, really. Yeah, absolutely, Doug. Uh, Doug, a long time, long time friend of the show, uh, who won our last competition. Um, in fact, um, but I liked his, I liked his comment. He put this up and then said, uh, "No spoilers, but you're going to love it. Your mind, will be, <laughs> your mind will be blown." So, um, I think it's it's already starting to get there. We're delighted yeah. how the show's gone so far. Excellent. Well, you can get in contact with us. You can email us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast dot com, or you can email us directly at Derek D E R E K at gothamtvpodcast dot com, or John at gothamtvpodcast.com and then also obviously interact with us on twitter and gotham tv podcast and you can join us and and like our page on facebook you can interact with us on google plus as well and on tumblr and any other um, of those social media handles just search for us at gotham tv podcast and we should hopefully pop up Yep, and remember, we do put reviews up for, for some episodes of Constantine and some uh, some news stories up on our website, which is gothamtvpodcast.com. You can always check those up there. Uh, we did a, had a great interview that we put up from um, from Daniel Cerrone and uh, David S. Goyer, who are the showrunners on, on Constantine. Uh, it's a good interview that we put up there last week. Um, that's that, uh, that hopefully, well, I know um, people have been enjoying reading, so that was a really good one. Uh, and remember, uh, we are on iTunes. If you don't follow us on iTunes, if you're if you do have an iTunes account, pop on there, give us a rating uh, in your country, in your area. Tell people about the episodes. Uh, now that uh, there's a split in the US, the, and we'll be catching up with uh, with the um, viewers of of US shows, it would be great if if you could share our show with them, and and uh, and then they'll have something to do uh, for the next couple of months. Exactly, it's always good to get um, reviews. It helps us to find an audience. It also helps other people to find us Mm -hmm. um, from your kind words. All right, thanks so much for listening. Yeah, again, thank you so much for listening. Um, It's great to to have your ears tuned in to us. So, again, a big thanks. Thank you. Absolutely. And we will leave you with Gotta Move On. Everybody out. Please? Podcast, do not cross Alan and Montoya. <laughs> um, at the end of, of the the episode, when we get the revelation, um, where he does say, where he does say, you'll see the light one way or another. <laughs> Hi, it's Derek again. We did notice about 40 minutes in to a recording that there was some problems with the sound. We fixed them from that point onwards. Hopefully you don't know. I don't have too many issues with the with the early part of the podcast, but it is fixed towards the end.